the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to KPDQ. My name is Sandy Snavely, and I'm filling in today for the Georgine Rice Show. We wish Georgine well today. And also, I do want to thank Mr. James Blind, who's in the production room, who's going to be making this run very, very smoothly. Aren't you, Bill? Yes, he will, because he is a professional and this is what he does. Um, In this past week, we have had the very sad and yet rejoicing news that one of um, this world's most precious evangelists um, was lifted into the arms of angels and carried to heaven where he now sees Jesus face to face. Um, I want to read, first of all, a quote by Luis Palau. The best way I know to stay humble is simply not to dwell on yourself. Have you had a wonderful victory? Praise the Lord for it and celebrate. Then allow it to fade into the past as surely as if it had been a disappointment. Look forward to Christ. If you concentrate on the past, you tend to inflate your role. And if you are not careful, you may begin to feel that you deserve some special credit and glory. Don't gloat. At best, we are weak servants. Don't spend too much time trying on the master's hat and looking in the mirror. This said by Luis Palau. So today I want to introduce you to Bill McLeod. Many of you have heard of him. Many of you know him. Many of you, many, many have attended Mission Connection which he founded in 2001 during his 15 years as a missions pastor in Portland. So I want to welcome to the studio today, Bill McLeod. Bill, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for, uh, you know, having me, uh, Sandy. And, uh, you know, so glad that you can step in for Georgine, who we all love as well. Yes, we do. Uh, Privileged to be here today. Yeah. So tell me about your friendship with Luis Palau. This has been, um, this has been a painful Though we knew that he was going to be going to heaven soon, but for those who were his very, very close friends, and especially his family, it's uh, it's a double weight. It's glory and it's grief. Well, you know that's a great quote that you uh, that you uh, read Precious. just now about. Um, you know, I met him in 1978. I was a student at Western Seminary. I was friends with a a girl who worked for him, and uh, I was at Western. I'd come from the East Coast to prepare to be a pastor in Scotland. And he was just starting his Scottish crusades. And uh, next thing I knew, she said, hey, you know, Luis would like to meet you. And so it was the fall of um, 1978. Uh, I didn't know anything about him, but everybody that either, if, if people knew him, they just were like crazy about him. It's like, this mm-hmm. is the greatest person. And if they didn't know him, they would say, uh, what, what was that? Was that a name or is that, what, what's a Luis Palau? <laughs> and, and then, you know, we met in his office off of the uh, Canyon road way back in the, in the day. And, uh, he asked me since I had an interest in Scotland, if I would 
you know, get churches praying for the Scottish uh, crusade that he was going to be planning. And I was like, like, wow, that's really cool. I just yeah. go around and urge people to pray. And um, so he was 43 years old. And I just realized the other day that I knew him for 43 years. So that was kind of an interesting wow. thing. Wow. That, and, uh, and so then next thing I knew, I think in January, he, he, we met again and he said, uh, I really would like you to come uh, on the Palau team and uh, be the youth coordinator for the Aberdeen Crusade. Oh, my. And I blown away. I mean, this was not my life. I probably lived a pretty boring life going to class and, you know, and so forth. And, uh, and then I found myself thrust into this uh, arena of, um, you know, being one of the first, I think I was the youngest crusade director back then, but I was way, way over my head. And uh, I didn't know that I had the gifts that he, uh, I guess, thought that I had or expected me to have administration, things like that. I just, you know, and I learned how to pray. And I was in Aberdeen for two weeks and he flew in to do a, an ITV uh, television interview, took me out to lunch, and he said, Bill, uh, I want you to be the crusade director for Ayrshire uh, next year in the southern part of, uh, of Scotland. And again, I was like, oh I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I believe, he, believe he, he put a lot of um, belief in uh, young people. He uh, he, he, he didn't mess around. He's like, you know, you can do this. Uh, I, I don't even, I think he just believed in people. And he would ask me for my opinion when he had like world famous people all around him mm. and blew me away. Like I'm helping him up to his room with his bags. And he says, Bill, what's happening in this city? Tell me, what do you see? I'm like, what are you asking me for? Like, I have no clue. <laughs> and, but he, he was always interested and the person um, that he was with, he was always interested in what everybody's opinion was about different things. And if you went out to, um, you know, a meal with him, oh, he was so interested in the server, wanted to know that, you know, you know, who the server was and you know, what their family life was like. These were these were amazing things. And, and it wasn't just Luis. It was the, the team that he pulled around him and those guys that had all been missionaries with him and overseas crusades, OCI you know, they made a tremendous impact on my life as well. And Oki Lumberg had come from um, the Billy Graham team, and he had founded Decision Magazine. So here was Oki traveling with us. Mm. Uh, uh, Stan Jeter uh, was, you know, doing a lot of the film work, camera work. Um, Dave Jones, uh, you know, who uh, basically went on to, to run so many of uh, the operations at the Palau team. But these were all amazing men who I just felt so humbled to be around. But and I think there that, was you in the yeah, midst of like, all of that. Yeah, who, how, how does this person fit in this uh, really illustrious um, team? And, uh, but he always, you know, he believed in us. And, uh, and, and, you know, the other thing I liked about him was he got, he got angry. Really? And a lot of times in the Christian world, you know, anger was something that you uh, oh, that was a sin. Yeah. And, uh, he'd get ticked off and he didn't have any problem calling us out on things if we were out of line. And, um, uh, but I had a dad that had, you know, uh, was, we'll say passionate. And so being with Luis was like, oh, I'm like, feel like I'm with my dad, <laughs> you know, care about things that you don't mind saying, Hey, 
you know, and one time we were doing a crusade that never got off the ground in Dallas. We came back again in a few years and did it again, but uh, nothing was happening. We couldn't get a committee together. We, and we met in his room, um, and he was just saying, is there sin in your lives? I mean, you could feel like the holiness of God. And I remember thinking, oh, God, is there anything in my life? It, it must be me. And, but he had to make sure, is yeah. there, you know held back because of sin and um uh you know just so many amazing things probably the greatest thing uh greatest moment for me with Luis was I was in my second crusade in Ayrshire and we had some on the committee that I don't know if if they were jealous or they didn't like an American being around but they were spreading kind of rumors about me that were not true and I, I I thought, you know, I'm just the guy that took some time off from seminary. <laughs> Give me a How, break. Yeah. I stand up to this. This is an right. established person. And, and you know, so uh, my supervisor was there, and he had gone and talked with different people and talked with this individual. And then we were sitting in Louise's room, and, uh, and uh, Bob West was giving this, uh, you know, kind of explanation. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm on the first plane out of here tomorrow. Mm. Now, Louise, Louise had had a lot of experience. He knew yes. that when you are taking the gospel to a whole city, a whole region, you're going to have crazy, crazy spiritual warfare. Yes, so, you are. Him, you know what? I would love, Bill, if we could hold this right here, because um, I I would really love if you would share with us, out of those experiences in working with the Luis Palau Ministry, how that prepared you for Mission Connection. I want to draw that link between the two. You are listening to um, the Georgine Rice Show. I am not Georgine. I am her um, very inferior counterpart, Sandy Snavely, and we will be right back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely, and I am online today with Bill McLeod, who's the executive director for Mission Connection. Bill, you've been telling us some really amazing, great stories about Luis Palau, with whom you worked side by side with. For how long did you hold that position with him? I, I worked in Scotland from uh, 1978 through uh, the fall of 1980, came back, finished seminary, and then uh, worked, uh, came back. I actually met my wife in London, uh, and I came back to the London Crusade in 1983, um, and then met and married my wife uh, in the fall of 83, and basically was there through uh, 1989. I see. Um, but the, 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 the point I was trying to make about this story was here we were praying in his room and we went to prayer and he said, well, we need to pray about these uh, issues. And he got on our knees. And, and again, Luis's humor is just amazing. He says, you know, Bill, uh, you must be doing something right because uh, everybody hates your guts. <laughs> well, there is a word of encouragement. And, and I, didn't know, I didn't know quite how to take that, but all I knew was he cared for me. He believed in me. And it was hilarious. Oh, my goodness. So now as you look back on this time and you look currently at what you're doing today, how much of what you're doing today did you learn from those early days of working with Luis? Probably everything. (laughs) He's the greatest influence in my life. Um, You know, prayer. Uh, Like I said, I was thrown in the deep end. I, I, I really was afraid that I was not going to do things 
I just didn't know if I, if I could do it all. And I remember praying, learning how to pray in that um, setting. Um, organization, you know, just uh, relationships, depending mm. on the people that God put it, you know, gave me to work with, always volunteers. Uh, learning that, you know, we can empower the church um, through volunteer help. You know, our Mission Connection uh, events are all volunteer-driven. And uh, we don't have a lot of overhead for paid staff. Uh, you know, as much as Luis was compared to Billy Graham uh, all those years, you know, he really has a small team compared to the Graham team. Yes, he did. What, yes. Uh, you know, what he is accomplishing. And um, it was like a glorified mission organization, really. And so um, I've always been impressed with how, how much uh, the Plow team does with every dollar that's given to them. I've just always been impressed that everybody, uh, Kevin and uh, Palau and uh, John Ogle, all these guys are my heroes because they really know how to honor Christ in uh, their work. And so that's, that's what I've tried to do, you know, with Mission Connection, that I, and honor the church. That was the other thing I learned so much from Luis. You know, he tried to put the church in the driver's seat at every opportunity. Mm. And so when people see a large stadium, um, it's, it's not because he's the be-all and end-all and we're coming to hear him preach. No, the Palau team behind the scenes is helping churches for a couple of years in advance teach the, teach the churches and the people in churches how to share Christ so that when the event comes, they've always already run people to Christ in wow. their own service. And then they invite all their friends to the event. Wow. Um, that was um, everything that you're saying. I can see the formation of Mission Connection coming together because of how God revealed your gifts through Luis Palau and also showed you a pattern for how to reach the world for Christ, which is your passion. The Speak His Name Jesus, the virtual conference that took place on between January 15th and 15th, uh, 16th of this year. Love that title, Speak His Name. Now, I um, have been involved in preparation for conferences, and I know for a fact that the title of every of anything is everything. The title is, is the first thing that captures um, the people's imagination and their passions. So certainly, Speak His Name, Jesus, does that so well. When did that um, title for this conference come? Well, I've, I've got to give credit to my team. Um, many times, I'm like the last person to come up with the theme. But this last year, because it was going to probably be a virtual conference, there were so many things up in the air. I was thinking about some of these, um, uh, you know, when there were things that people wanted us to remember about people that had been killed or whatever, they would say, you know, speak his name. And um, so that was on my mind, but I was actually in Montana on vacation. Um, and uh, I was, I remember exactly where I was walking and uh, this idea came in, speak his name, Jesus. Um, and I thought, okay, Lord, is this, is this the theme? What's, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. Mm. And, um, uh, that's where it came from in July last year. And how appropriate for the kind of year that we had and that we're still having. It's not over yeah. yet. But yeah. um, certainly during this past year, 
There have been so many reasons for us, first of all, personally, from our own hearts to the heavens, the need to speak his name, Jesus, right? Needing to speak out his name um, in prayer and in praise and in cries for help. Um, But then also, because the world around us is hurting like we have never seen it hurt before worldwide. So all the more reason that we would be bold to speak his name. So then what happens? We end up social distancing. You have a huge conference about to take place in several months that you're all working for, and it ends up going virtual. Yeah. uh, How big a shock was that? Well, we made the decision in August. Like I've always told our team, you know, we really are nothing without the local church. If, if the local churches are shut down, they're not going to host us. And so, you know, it's, it's a privilege to partner with the local churches. And, I mean, over the last few years, there's only a couple churches that can host Mission Connection it's Northwest. It's huge. It's a huge uh, conference. And so um, we don't think that we're anything, but we have to plan accordingly. And so we have good relationships with the local churches. There was a great church that wanted to host us. And then they opened for a time, and then they were immediately shut down because cases came up. And when I saw that, I thought, you know, um, the, the steam is really building for us to do a virtual conference. And and when when that you know when they had to stop, I said, okay, that's that's the decision right there. My own board was saying, boy, I don't think we should, I don't think we should try to have a live event. And so everything was in agreement that we should. Uh, go to not just a virtual event, but a global event. And it probably was the greatest year in terms of connecting with um, so many international churches. In the past, we might have 400 churches represented. We had uh, over 560 um, churches represented um, from 49 countries. My goodness, before we might nine countries, maybe seven countries the year before. So to jump to 49 countries... Um, and then, you know, states, um, people from um, all but four of the 50 states participated in Mission Connection Northwest this year. And again, that was the Lord. You know, we were just blown away by these um, statistics. Um, and not only that, Bill, I have been involved in a couple of virtual events one specifically with um, a conference. And the technical aspects of that are huge. They're huge. So in a few moments, I'd like to talk with you more about that because um, I don't think it's, it's hard for people who haven't had to work within a virtual system to understand just how difficult it can be and how incredibly complicated. But um, I want to hold on that because we want to get the full amount of it all. But my guest today online is Bill McLeod, who is the executive director for Mission Connection. Surely most all of you have heard of Mission Connection. It's been going on for a good many years and attracting massive amounts of people all there for one reason, and that is extending missions throughout the world and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere, a huge undertaking. 
And so we're going to be hearing much more about that and especially about um, Speak His Name Jesus that took place this past January. So um, I will be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And here we are, back again. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. My guest online today is Bill McLeod, the Executive Director of Mission Connection. We have been talking about the recent virtual conference, Speak His Name, Jesus 2021, the big event that takes place every year for Mission Connection. Bill, let's take just a moment to talk about the logistics of this. You, having been an admin while you were working with Luis Palau, you know as and I do too, I've helped produce conferences, the details, the huge amount of details that are necessary for a conference. But this was virtual. This is like walking into no man's land. This is stepping on the moon for the first time. So what was this like for you guys? Well, in some ways it was a lot um, easier. In other ways it was harder. Um, when you're doing a live event, we it takes for Mission Connection Northwest, we need uh, we know exactly how many volunteers we need. We, we need 155 volunteers. Uh, I have an amazing um, volunteer coordinator, Jacob Moo, and he, uh, I mean, he, he just knows what it takes. And we have, uh, you know, we start out the year with 155 blank lines that we have to fill up with real names of real people who are committed to help in those areas. Coming into this, everything was going to have to be done, you know, on a little screen. And so you don't have volunteers that you're recruiting throughout the year. I had been talking with my longtime friend, Bill Dolan, who runs Spirit Media. You guys know him well. I think he's probably the best uh, person, the best organization for what we do on the West Coast. And so we've been friends for years. And so I had been talking with him during the summer. And then it just came time where I said, okay, what do we do? How do we do this? I don't even know what my expectations should be. And he said, you know, he says, um, let's see if we can just imitate what we've already, what you've already done. Four major uh, plenary sessions, 100 workshops, and 100 exhibitors. Wow. And I, I, can, see the, I can see the workshops. I can see the um, plenary sessions. But how in the world do you do an exhibitor booth with no, <laughs> you know, with no presence? And so we worked that through. And... Uh, I was so impressed, um, and I thought, will anybody want to sign up? And, uh, but we all know that it's either you, you figure out how to do things virtually or you don't do anything. <laughs> and fortunately, over the last 20 years, thank God, we've created relationships with these major mission agencies around the, the, the region, around the globe, and they were willing to trust us because of our reputation in the past, which God, you know, the Lord gave us. Yes. And so it was a little hard, a little harder recruiting this year. But you know what? We ended up with 80 uh, exhibitors. And um, I think we probably helped the Christian church take a big step forward in this virtual space um, because of Mission Connection Northwest. But um, so, you know, it was it was great. We really didn't have the technical issues. We had a few things that came up uh, at the conference, but I really had a great team that was doing it all. And, um, uh, you know, I just can't say enough for what this team did, Bill and his team, and then uh, folks on our end that 
that really were running shotgun and all this stuff. I couldn't help but um, throughout this past year, I just couldn't help but um, be incredibly grateful for a sovereign God who is Alpha and Omega, who sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. There is nothing in space or time that he isn't aware of. And so during all these years of so many people who would complain about the computer age um, and how it was interfering with our lives and how it was taking over and some even going so far as to say it's the enemy's playground. And yet God knew, didn't he, that um, this kind of technology was going to be developed and knowing that one day it would be critical for the body of Christ to stay in communication with each other, right? Amen. Amen. Incredible. Yeah, and and, and um, yeah, and I just felt like we needed strong medicine this year. That's why we chose the theme we did, and uh, we needed to to stay on it. You know, we needed to you know say that Jesus didn't stop and say that the Great Commission is not important anymore. Um, if if ever, this is an incredible time to be um, you know proclaiming Christ because people are hungry. I've never seen, for instance, on primetime television, Franklin Graham and somebody, some other person I'm not familiar with, preaching the gospel in whatever it is, 15-second, 30-second spot. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. This is amazing. So there's a real hunger, and we want to capture that. We want to, you know, we want to tell the church, hey, uh, you know, we still need to be raising up and sending out missionaries. And, you know, now more than ever, this is not a time to step back. And it's exciting, you know, to see churches that haven't missed a beat. They're still mobilizing and they're still uh, moving out. I want us to take a look at what that mobilization looks like in all of its different aspects. And so uh, clue us in when you hear, when you use the word, because in many ways you coined this word with Mission Connection in its usage for missions. So um, how do you see, explain to us what mobilization with the gospel looks like? Well, uh, I look at the events that we do. Uh, when we started out, uh, Mission Connection Northwest was an annual event, and uh, and that w- and I you know, I wasn't taking a salary from Mission Connection. It would be eight years before I jumped in full time <laughs> and took a salary. So, um, but but our our mission, our vision and mission was always, you know, um, seeing the local church um, raised up so we could connect the local church and individuals to mission so that increasing numbers of workers could be raised up and sent out to the places least served by the gospel. Um, so I think we were doing Mission Connection Northwest for a number of years. I had a friend on my team came to me and said, man, I think we ought to do a kind of a focused event on leadership. And I said, good, go for it. Let's do it. And uh, so we found the, the passionate people about uh, specific areas, just let them, let them run with their vision and then we'll provide the platform. So, we had, for instance, last month in February, we had short-term mission connection. This is something that we've done about, I don't know, five, six years, and we partner with Standards of Excellence. And you would think, well, in a pandemic, nobody's interested in short-term missions, but it turns out that um, we had, again, we had the greatest turnout of people going to STM connection is what we call it, um, and it was a virtual event, um, more state represented uh, and leaders, a lot of leaders from around the country saying, hey, maybe these guys know 
which is how we should be planning. And so that was a tremendous event. Mm. Um, we're looking ahead. Uh, Dennis Fuquay, who heads up the uh, International Renewal Movement, he's on our board, but he does an event called Prayer Connection. And we're looking to do a live event coming up uh, in May, May 14th and 15th. And again, how can we use prayer as a tool for mobilizing? Well, we've been doing prayer connection for six years. And, um, and so we just believe we, we need to pray. Yes, we need to hear from we do. the Lord. We need to pray how, first, don't we? Yeah. We, we need, need to, to pray the, first, during, and after. Yeah. Like, Lord, Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. Show us. Show us the field. Show us how we navigate in these times. And so prayer yes. connection will, will take place. And uh, again, we're excited about, about that and the speakers that we've got lined up. Um, and, then, and then at the end of the year, we do uh, uh, student connection, which is also going to be live. And, uh, and so that's typically been our largest turnout of, of these smaller focused events. And that but, is very encouraging, Bill, because um, it is the next generation coming. We've already, um, we have already been um, grief stricken and glory stricken by the passing of Luis Palau. It's like a generation of uh, evangelism suddenly uh, evaporated from our midst, though it has not, because God continues to raise up generation after generation. Mission Connection is helping to do that. My guest online today is Bill McLeod, who's the executive director of Mission Connection that was founded in 2001. I'm Sandy Snavely filling in today for Georgine Rice on The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. I'm Sandy Snavely sitting in for Georgine Rice on the Georgine Rice Show. My guest online today is Bill McLeod with Mission Connection. Bill, we've been talking. It, it, it's too short. The time is too short. I wish we had um, a whole another couple of hours to continue to explore what you're doing with Mission Connection, what has been taking place with Mission Connection since 2001. But I feel like one one of the areas we seriously need to go into today because it, it the whole purpose of Mission Connection is to reach the globe, to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have, so many of us are very well aware today that there are more Christians being persecuted for their faith in these days than ever before. So I would love if you would share with us, what are some of the key hotspots for Christian persecution in the globe today? And how does Mission Connection relate to that? Well, uh, by the way, our time is short because I talk too much. No, no, and, you uh, talk just right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the organizations we partner with is Open Doors International, and they do a, uh, I think they call it a watch list every year. They, they list the top 100 countries yes. that are uh, persecuted. And, uh, you know, we partner with them. We partner with the Voice of the Martyrs, very similar uh, type organizations. And... Um, and it's amazing um, how, uh, you know, we've had speakers at Mission Connection who come from these parts of the world. And uh, even though there's persecution, sometimes the church um, is stronger and has more of a backbone when, uh, you know, they're under persecution. And, um, and so, you know, again, our goal is to send out workers into these places. And, 
and uh, and to partner with churches that, that get it and say, this is important. We need to get the gospel in front of it. You know, Mission Connection was founded in the shadow of 9-11. And mm. uh, I asked Luis, That's I, I right. asked Luis yes. if he would gather the pastors together. And so, you know, we had like 300 pastors out at this uh, launch event um, way back in the day. And, um, and I'll never forget, he got up and he said, uh, and of course they all came because they knew Luis, they wanted to hear Luis. They said, you know, um, friends, he said, um, you know that there are literally people that are dying to kill us because we name in the name of Christ. You know, our yeah. goal is not to retaliate, but our goal is to get the gospel to them. To redeem. So mm. they have an opportunity to hear what we have and maybe what we have taken for granted. We need to get the goods to them. And that's what Bill and his crew is here to do. And, um, and so, you know, I know everybody needs the gospel, but I think for us, you know, to look at those places that are the hardest, you know, to reach, where it is restricted access uh, locations, as we would say. Um, and, and thank God, you know, we partner with groups like Frontiers and Pioneers. These are organizations with plenty of others that, that focus on these hard places. Like someone has said, all the easy places have been taken. Only the hard places are left. And I'm so grateful that there are young people who are being raised up, who say, I want to be, I want my life to count. I want to be one of those who would go to these hard places. Central Asia is a hard place. I serve on a board, People International. I've served for over 20 years on the U.S. Board of People International. We're raising up and sending people out to um, the hard places in Central Asia. And sometimes you visit these places and you go, oh my goodness, they've got more life and vitality than, you know, many churches. In America. Why is that? Because they understand the cost and they understand what life was like before they found Jesus. And it's like, oh, that's what keeps me fresh. That's what keeps me alive and doing what I do. And don't we see, um, just in the struggles that we go through here in a country that is known for having pretty much everything, but still we go through times in our lives where life is just extremely difficult. And when it is, Everything else seems removed from us but Jesus. When that happens, we see him more clearly. We understand him. We can join into his heart because there's nothing cluttering ours. It's complete dependency when the scriptures say the two shall become one flesh. That husband and wife connection of joining together. This is the being the bride of Christ, right? Yeah. And so yeah. we join into him. I um, found this, I think it may have been on your website, that 20 million Christians were under persecution in 2020 compared to 245 million in 2019. That was quite a jump when you're talking sure. in terms of millions. And so yeah. in the midst of this, Jesus is becoming incredibly real to those who are yeah. being persecuted. Our hearts should be breaking for them. So I'm encouraged to hear that there are young people being raised up who are saying, these are the places I want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the pandemic has allowed me and Mission Connection, an unprecedented opportunity to move 
forward on some plans for expansion that we probably would would not have been able to do at the speed we've been, we've been able to do it. And uh, for the last two years, over two years, a group in Phoenix, Arizona, has been praying that they could host a Mission Connection event. Uh-huh. And oh, I and and you know, I had gone and met with some leaders down there, and I said. Prayer is the key. You've got to get on your knees. You've got to hear each other praying. You've got to seek the Lord. And uh, so they started doing it. And they started meeting not once but twice a month to pray. Mm. And so uh, now, uh, November 5th and 6th, Mission Connection Southwest will launch uh, Scottsdale Bible. There's a number of churches that wanted to host it, but Scottsdale Bible said, please let us host the first one. And um, it's such a joy to work with these folks because you know, we've got all kinds of different kinds of mission pastors and pastors that are part of this team. And when people pray, it's so easy to lead. Yes. And uh, they, they recently said, would you be the one to lead our steering meetings? And I said, well, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'd, I'd like to help you to, to lead. But they said, no, no, we need you to, to help hold us accountable, things like that. And they've made a commitment to go three years, an annual event, over a three-year period, every that year. That is amazing. You know, Bill, I watched a movie last year called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. As I'm listening to you speak, I think we need the God who harnesses you and <laughs> and oh. uses that passion and that excitement to um, harness the body of Christ and get it moving in the direction of global missions. It's easy for us to forget, isn't it, when we're living in our cloistered world here, trying to make church work virtually, trying to um, find out where we fit in this world of um, isolation, and then how do we break out of it? Uh, there is so We have been so hugely impacted that it can make our world smaller. But what we're gaining from you today is that these very things should make our world bigger. So in the Amen. last couple of moments that we have with you, tell us again, how do we make our world bigger in terms of missions? Well, I think it just starts with us praying, right? That's how we come to Jesus. We hear a message. We humble our knees and we humbly say, Jesus, I can't do this life. Help me, Lord. Be, take over my life. Take resin. Fill me with your spirit. And then as we become more aware, as we grow in Christ, we see opportunities and maybe things begin to, to uh, you know, tweak our interest. And I just believe that uh, there isn't a one size fits all, that we need to obey the Lord and go in the direction that he leads. Never yes. mind what someone tells us, but that we need to move in the direction that he is leading. And, um, and, and then uh, that we can find our fulfillment to what he has created us for. So I've always said, if, if I go into a local church, I should be able to say to any person in that church, what part of the Great Commission are you fulfilling? And if they say, oh, you want the missions pastor, uh, let me find him, uh. then they don't. But if they say, you know what? I work in the children's department, and I want these children to grow up and understand that they can become missionaries, one of the greatest call on anyone's life. So that's, that's my part of the fulfilling the Great Commission. And, uh, you know, Luis and I used to go back and forth. I used to say, uh, boy, the older I get, Luis, the more I am convinced that the evangelist is what we need. And he'd say, no, Bill, we need the missionary. Because, you know, it was a missionary from Great Britain that worked for an oil company that led his mom and dad to Christ before he was born. Mm. So he says, we need the missionary. And I said, well, 
I, I, I just believe we need the evangelists to proclaim. And people are saying that Luis Palau is the last, last of the greatest evangelists. No, I believe God is going to raise up uh, and, and has raised up younger guys who can fill uh, stadiums, can go take the gospel to the, the big cities. And, uh, and I, I just believe that, you know, those days are not over. These Luis are the Palau. voices that are waiting to be heard. From these younger generations, we should be praying for those voices right now. That's what I'm hearing from the Spirit as you're talking, that shouldn't we be praying for these voices right now, that they will stay on track, that they will um, be overcome by the holiness of God and the truth and the abundant goodness of his word, that they will be impassioned by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the message of Christ to a dying world. And, you know, if there's someone out there that's listening to you and I today, uh, Sandy, and they feel that God is calling them to be an evangelist, to proclaim the Lord, i got to tell you, Luis Palau wasn't about just about Luis. Uh, they, uh, they have uh, continued to build an organization uh, just to mentor and, and uh, strengthen uh, evangelists. Yes. And I think there's like seven, 800 of these evangelists all over the world that, you know, want to be part of this association it's been called the Next Generation Alliance. I'm, you know, my, my office is in the uh, Palau Link Center, but uh, sometimes I don't keep up on everything. But it was called the Next Generation Alliance. It was raising up a whole generation of young evangelists to continue proclaiming the word. And mm, That uh, so, is awesome. And I heard when you said the, um, the mission of, of Alliance, I heard of lions, the raising up of the lions the first time. So I think that's even um, pertinent to being an alliance. So, um, Bill, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your incredible enthusiasm for missions. Thank you for not talking about bowls that were hollowed out of pieces of wood. Um, thank you for making missions about the saving of souls. Um, you have Jesus' heart in that, and you've captured ours. So what a great time. I am so humbled to have gotten an opportunity to meet you today. Oh, Sandy, thank you so much. And hey, I think you've got a future in this. Really? You've done a great well, you know what? I, I retired from it, um, but <laughs> it's great. It's great to be back. It reminds me of why I loved radio, and it's meeting people like you. Bill, thank you so much for being with us. Our guest today online, Bill McLeod, the Executive Director of Mission Connection. Coming up um, in our next program will be Portland Fellowship. I am equally excited to delve into this ministry that has become so vital to the body of Christ and to the world around us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And we are back. Welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely filling in today for Georgine Rice. I have a quote that I want to read to you that I found on Portland Fellowship's Facebook page today, and I wish I could show you the picture that went along with it, but these words really gripped my heart. When I stopped judging or fearing people and got curious about how and why we as humans do certain things in life that hurt us or others and what helps us heal and change for better. I challenged myself to learn and connect with other human beings who make a positive impact in other people's lives. 
My life became rich. My heart is full of joy. Last year, I stopped by Port- at Portland Fellowship and saw many transformed lives. My guest today is Jason Thompson, who's the executive director of Portland Fellowship. He is a graduate from Multnomah Bible College here in Portland. He holds a master's degree in counseling from Western Seminary, and he's also an ordained minister. He and his wife, Amy, um, had a precious little girl, Abigail, in 2000. Sadly, she passed away just at three and a half months old due to a heart defect. However, as God so often does, years later, bless them with two incredible boys, Trevor and Cody. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the ministry of Portland Fellowship, their story. And um, so let me introduce to you today, Jason. Thank you, Jason, for being with us today. Oh, it is a pleasure, Sandy. Thank you. How long have you been with Portland Fellowship? Well, I arrived on the doorsteps in 1989. For, wow. Yeah, way back when. Back when I was 12. <laughs> I, I see. Yes. <laughs> not really, but I uh, was in desperate need of answers to um, some desires that I was having, some unwanted desires. And so when I learned about this ministry, it was like living water, if you will, to my soul, of knowing that God had a plan of restoration and healing and hope. Uh, because at that point, I was actually wanting to end my life. So, yeah, so so over 30 years now, and uh, just haven't left, and God continues to allow me to, to minister here. Do you, Can you tell us how old you were at that time? Yeah, I was 18. 18. I was born in 70, so 18 years old. And uh, again, through the high school years, uh, for mostly the high school years, it was just such deep confusion about my identity and some longings that I was having and uh, attractions that I was experiencing. And I, I just didn't know where to turn. So learning about this ministry um, was, was life-changing for me. What first led you there? Well, I, I kept this issue a, a serious secret, I suppose. Of course. And they say, don't, don't keep secrets of the devil kind of thing. And, and I was kind of doing that. So it was never light was exposed. But I eventually shared with a girl that, that, who liked me, and everyone thought we were dating, but I had no interest at the time. And, um, and I finally broke down and shared that I was just, so hurting over this and needed answers. The very first person I shared, she just happened to have heard a sermon the week before in which someone had brought up this new kind of ministry that was going on in the late 80s uh, called Portland Fellowship. Wow. And so it was, I mean, it was a truly divine moment where she could then offer uh, hope. She knew nothing about the ministry. She just said, "I'll, I'll get the name and number and you can call and figure it out. So I, when I first called the director uh, back in 89, it Again, it was, it wasn't, there wasn't anything he said that was profound except for the reality that there was someone willing to love me through this and give me uh, direction and hope through this process. And so it began, again, to be a, a turning point from despair uh, to a lot of hope. How long do you think it was, Jason, between the time you walked through the doors of Portland Fellowship to the time when you first began to feel victory? and like uh, you were going to make it? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think the idea behind what victory looks like or healing or a trans, a transforming uh, desires that happen within are different from person to person. So my story, of course, would be different than someone else's. Sure. But to answer your question, it was, um, 
a really an act of, of constant walking in obedience, well, obedience with mistakes and failures from time to time, but there was this always moving forward to what God would have for my life. And so with that in mind, it would be coming through the program. The program doesn't do healing work, but it's a vessel that allows me to meet with God and with his people to do the healing work. And so as I kept doing that weekly and going through a discipleship process of, of looking deeper things in my heart, and my mind and things that need to be surrendered. My, my, it was a slow uh, progression, if you will, of, of less of a desire and need to connect romantically or, or sexually with, with men uh, and, and um, feeling comfortable who I was as a man. And then eventually becoming more and more honest and open with other men, my dad, uh, guys at Multnomah Bible College at the time, Actually, moment of school, the Bible way back then. Right. But uh, it was it was really an ongoing process of allowing God to expose lies and and begin to heal me. So the desire that before I walked in the ministry was very intense of wanting to engage in those unhealthy ways of, of relating, and then as those years went on, uh, it became less and less because I just didn't have that desire to want to fill that need in that way, and so. Uh, to be very specific about answering the question, I would say about two to three years to where I got to this place where I was like, I don't, I don't really want to entertain those desires. I don't want to go to those places in my heart. And, and because God began to, to heal, and I think it's real important for people to understand this isn't a white knuckling or, or just wait for it to go away. I, I don't think homosexuality is something that goes away. I think it's something that gets resolved. And once the resolved work begins to take place in my life, the, the need to run to that counterfeit, uh, either by kind of a natural inclination or intentional, uh, becomes uh, something that isn't as um, leading in my life. It doesn't, it doesn't compel me to that place anymore. And then, long story short in this, and we can talk in detail, but um, an awakening began to happen in me. I, I believe the way God intended in the first place between man and woman and I did meet a, a, a woman, a beautiful woman at Multnomah, and uh, and she and I was 25 at the time, but I felt like I was 13 years old, starting all over again. Mm. I have no idea how to respond to this. You know, do, I, I literally thought, do you pass her a note? Will you go out with me? Check box, yes, no, maybe kind of thing. <laughs> I like you. And do you like, like how me? Do, how do you do this? <laughs> right. So anyway, that was kind of the start of something new and different in my mind, a, a, a real desire to want to know her and to... And it, a year into dating, that's when I asked her to marry me. But it was, it was a place where I promised, and not only her but myself with the Lord, that it would not be a marriage out of convenience or trying to fix myself, but because of it being an overflow of what God has done in my life and a true desire for her. And so we were married in 1997, and yesterday was our uh, 24th anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary! Thank that's. You. Uh, yes. What a beautiful story. Um, can you give me maybe just one, of, and then we'll pick up some more in a little bit, but um, one uh, breakthrough that just, uh, when you look back, you say that was one of the turning points. Oh, there were several, but I think the biggest one was, and this is a big concept, but I continuously tried to commit to God that I would no longer engage in, in things of my heart that are unhealthy, ungodly, and I keep failing in that. And it wasn't until I learned through discipleship process that it's not about committing this to God, but surrendering to God. 
And so the idea was it was no longer mine to pick up. It was no longer mine to run to. And when I started to surrender the running to the counterfeit, it opened up great doors to run to the real thing, the real relationships with men, the real relationship with my dad, which was hugely significant in healing, um, and the church, and, of course, God the Father. And so the counterfeit began to um, be removed and replaced by the real things. Mm. So I think that was a huge component. Stop just committing. The commitment's not bad, but it, but it happens after surrender. And that's, that's the turning point in my life when I begin to surrender this. To, it to seems to me that what you're saying is that you took the decision-making process out of your hands and put it into God's hands. That's right. That's right. This is no longer. So I had the right, if you will, to fantasize. I could go there yes. at that time. But when you surrender it, now ultimately you can return to whatever you want, pick up your surrendered item. But I chose to walk in the sense of when I was tempted to go to those familiar places, the, the thought and the reminder and the commitment to the surrender was, no, I have no right over that. Mm. Literally, I have no right to it. It's not mine. So There you go. I'll just, I'll just have to, you know, wait until God does something deeper in my life. And he did through oh, that. It's amazing. I had tons of stories of that. Where he well, just, I, we're going to get to some of them. Yeah, my guest yeah, uh, today is Jason Thompson, who's the executive director for Portland Fellowship. We're going to learn more about what Portland Fellowship is, um, what they do, and what it's like to be a part of a ministry in Portland where it's not very popular. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. I'm Sandy Snavely sitting in for Georgine Rice with my guest today online, Jason Thompson, the executive director of Portland Fellowship. Um, before we go into more of your story, Jason, I would love if you would share kind of in a nutshell the ministry of Portland Fellowship. Absolutely. The ministry began in the early 80s, uh, really an individual who was struggling with this and co-wrote a book with, with the pastor at Henson Church here in Portland. And they, uh, because of that book, it just brought people to um, Christians, primarily, of course, that wanted to surrender this or walk in some measure of, of holiness. And so it uh, just was a Bible study group in its original years, and then over the years it continued to grow. And the mission, though, has not uh, changed at all. The message, the mission is recognizing that um, there is hope and freedom for those struggling with unwanted same-sex attractions and desires. And um, like you said before the break, that's not a popular message or a believed message. Very but unpopular. True. Not it's just a little unpopular. bit. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's it's not it's not a well received. And sadly, and we could talk about this if we have time, but it's it's even more at in 2021. Um, received even by the church, many people in the church or many denominations in the church. And so there's there's a complacency in this issue and or an acceptance and affirmation rather than trusting in the full counsel of God that he redeems and heals and transforms and that our process is to become more and more like him over, over that process. You know what, I want to so, go there. As long yeah. as you brought that up, um, I think it's important for us to go there as we look at the change of perspective regarding the issue of sexual identity, which we seldom use the term anymore, homosexuality, because um, 
that has become so difficult to even approach that word, but we're using, which I think is a better term, sexual identity. It covers so much more. But let's take a look, um, share from your perspective what you're seeing specifically taking place within the body of Christ and how we look at this issue of sexual identity from a biblical perspective and what's going wrong here. Yeah, absolutely. And just to highlight for the listeners, uh, if you go to portlandfellowship.com, on the main page in the second slide is a document, a one-page document, which I'm going to share right now about. So that's the easiest way to refer to this because we won't go through the whole thing. But what it does is it breaks the the discussion up into four different camps of Christianity. And just in a brief nutshell, the, the very left side is is the rebel, and that says it's okay to be gay, we should celebrate this, mainline denominations like Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians and, and whatnot are, are starting to embrace this, right? And so it's basically saying, you know, it's totally okay and, and God designed it this way. And then there's another group of individuals just right of that that's just saying, no, we can't engage in this behavior. Some people call them side B and the other one side A, but they call themselves celibate gay Christians. And the whole intention there is saying, well, we're going to hold the biblical sexual ethics, but um, but we're still gay. And this goes back to your your thought about the idea that people still call themselves gay, even though they may not engage in the behavior. It's a cultural norm that's happening. The problem with that, of course, is it's an it's an identity that's not um, of the Lord. It's not His intention for for His people. And so to claim any identity that's not of God's intended purpose and plan and for our lives. Uh, will ultimately be destructive. And you may be abstinence, practicing abstinence um, with your sexuality, but a deeper question for this category is, well, what, what are you doing in your heart? And, and maybe that's why they would call themselves gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, celibate, because they still entertain or cultivate the desires within. Hmm. So that that is a becoming somewhat of what of a popular belief and, and a message that's happening in our culture. I have to uh, say, Jason, um, uh-huh. I, I I may embarrass myself, but I feel a need to to say that that has not felt wrong to me. So would you camp on that a little bit more? Because I want to understand that from your perspective. Light is beginning to dawn in my brain, and I think if it's happening in mine, it's happening to our listeners as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the idea of this resist category is what I call it. Um, it's, it's basically saying I'm choosing to be obedient with my unchangeable affliction. I see. So in in a way, I applaud this because they're choosing obedience. Yes. Outward obedience. With that said, we read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, of course, very concerned with our behavior because it's an overflow of our heart. But he's concerned with our heart first, mm. which then is the prerequisite to the behavior. So this this category says we're not really going to deal with the heart. We just need to not behave. So it's kind of a legalistic position. It, well, they're holding the biblical ethics, but but there's certainly not an inclination or a desire to allow God to do a deep, transforming work in our lives. And again, the idea of calling yourself a gay, celibate Christian, I make the parallels. Like, there's a lot of listeners right now, heterosexual men, who may t- be tempted to give to have sexual relations with another woman that's not his wife. Now, not for a minute would he go around calling himself a celibate, adulterous Christian. Oh my goodness. 
right? That would make no sense. <laughs> yeah, it would not be popular. Conferences. Or yes. <laughs> oh, it's not on their resume. Okay. No, yeah, and I don't think their wife would appreciate it, too. Not I mean, at all. But but we would applaud that he's being celibate, and he and we would applaud that the person's being honest and authentic about his vulnerabilities. So there's an element of this that says, okay, I get what you're trying to do here, but you're you're kind of missing the mark, and you're looking at it completely. In other words, you're celebrating and highlighting the thing that's broken within you rather than celebrating the true identity that's found in Christ in you. And ultimately, what I personally experienced with people who are in the side B category is they don't move toward wholeness necessarily. If anything, they go left to the rebel column, if you will, or the embracing their homosexuality because they've already cultivated it within their own heart. And eventually, if they meet the right person, they may compromise their, their position on this. Not all, not all, but I've seen people certainly that have done that. Wow. So wow. these, these are these are becoming very popular um, people proponents, and Revoice.us uh, is a website that kind of en- enhances these things. Preston Sprinkle is a is a common name. Um, great guy that loves people and is loves the LGBT community. He would not um, share and promote uh, Portland Fellowship. We've had dialogue about that. Um, but he, he loves people, and people love that he loves well. And the church has done such a terrible job in the past with so much condemnation on homosexuality. I think there's a, um, a pendulum swing to just talk about love. Love the LGBTQ person, period, end of story. Hopefully they'll live a chaste life and be obedient, but that's the end of the story. Hmm. But the reality is, on this chart, is there's so much more. <laughs> that's the beauty of it. So, so much, much more. more. So that's we right. have looked at so far, it's okay to be gay and then celebrate um, gay gay. A celibate, yes. celebrate gay Christian. Or a celibate, yeah, celibate, a celibate gay Christian. Type of celibate gay. Comfortable with yeah. those labels. Yeah, yeah. Um, two more of those labels we're going to want to get into. Um, God is a label breaker, and uh, so yes. I, we're going to be taking a look at that. Such a great discussion with my guest um, today online, Jason Thompson, who's the executive director of Portland Fellowship. A touchy subject and such a critical issue for the body of Christ today. Let's really delve into it. Um, I'm Sandy Snavely, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm happy to be able to have an opportunity to be um, filling in for her today. And so in a moment, Jason, we're going to take a look at the other two issues. Um, I also want us to be able to take a look at how the language of this issue has changed, how the approach to dealing with it has changed. We're touching on it right now, but I would love for us to go even deeper into that because as um, as Jesus followers, we are the first ones. We should be the first responders to this issue, and I fear that we're not. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And here we are back again with my guest online, Jason Thompson, the executive director of Portland Fellowship. Jason, you have been uh, giving us four, uh, four, uh, what do we call them? I would say views, differing views. Four views of, um, of being gay in America. Uh, it's okay to be gay, the celibate gay Christian. We've taken a look at both of those. There's two more. Take us to number three. 
Sure. So the other side of this chart that we were referring to, and by the way, if you're just listening, it's at portlandfellowship.com, this uh, chart. And it basically uh, has two different types of categories. And um, the first one uh, is called renounce, is what we call it. And the idea here is that they're surrendering both their false identity and their sinful behavior, which is great. So that's a win-win on that. And then uh, the idea through this process is recognizing that there's traditional biblical ethics and God will meet you in one's weakness. The origin of those that believe in this particular view would say that homosexuality is simply the, res- the, the result of the fall. We all have sin in our lives. We all struggle with various types of sin. And for the homosexual person, um, the same-sex attracted person, it would be uh, a sin nature that they have to contend with. Uh, and so the emphasis will just be to support them in their in godly living and and holding to um, you know church community and mm-hmm. but ultimately they would be silent or opposed to recognizing that that homosexuality is more than just a sin nature issue, which is the final category or view on this point. Okay, let's let's look at the fourth. So then the the final one we called rebuild, or you could um, you know a transformation, if you will. And the idea here is that the hope in, is in Christ for a truly transformed life. So this, there, this is a small nuance between the two, but one would say um, this is a weakness we have to deal with, but we don't hold on to the identity or the behavior. Rebuild would also say, of course, don't hold on to the identity or the behavior, but we recognize it not only as a sin nature issue, but a developmental issue that there are actual relational wounds and needs, neglect, all sorts of things that have contributed to why we get fixated or focused on the counterfeit to meet our needs rather than the real thing. And so our this is where Portland Fellowship uh, fits in this, and people like Joe Dallas and Andrew Comiskey and Restored Hope Network. These are individuals that recognize that we're going to take a, take a sanctifying journey, if you will, on recognizing the need, the wounding, and allow God to restore and heal that. Now, that does not promise or guarantee some kind of, like, heterosexual punch card at the end. That's not the point. In fact, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality or heterosexual Mm. functioning or marriage. The opposite of homosexuality or any kind of brokenness is holiness. And I know the gay community would be highly offensive by that statement. I understand that. But the true reality is if you're living in Christ and following his word, any brokenness, anything that besets the fallen humanity, uh, the opposite of that is to become more holy and more like Christ, and, and more of his intended purpose for our lives. And so that's what we press on toward. It's not just a surrender of identity and behavior and living a godly life. It's inviting the Lord to do that deeper healing inner work in our lives. Oh my goodness, that I, I um I love this, Jason, because this applies not only to issues with sexual identity, it applies to life in general. So as we are looking at the confusion that the church now has that really is the result of um, pressures, societal pressure, to change, and I believe that the body of Christ bears a fair amount of guilt in this because of the really horrific ways that we've dealt with this issue in the past and the alienation and the wounds that have been caused because of it, of thumping the Bible over someone's head, um, 
with uh, scriptures that have to do with um, homosexuality without grace, without applying grace there. It's um, judging without grace. Absolutely. I mean, one of my big pet peeves, and I, I realize this is my own little corner of the Christian world here, but if, if I ever hear a sermon on homosexuality, sure, speak the truth. Don't, don't, be, un, don't be unapologetic or, or minimize God's truth. But do so with grace and mercy, but more so, and grace and mercy is embodied in God's hope for those that are struggling. So if you get to the end of the sermon and there's not a transformative message, a redemptive message, a redeemed uh, inner work that can happen in an individual, I think we miss the, the beauty of it. We miss kind of the point of it, because then what's left for the person who's struggling? Well, stop doing it and stop taking the label. Okay, that's halfway there. Yeah. Now, like you said, it doesn't matter what the struggle is. It's kind of a bait and switch, really. When you come to Portland Fellowship, like, yeah, you brought, you came in because of this issue, but you're like anyone else who needs the Lord and His work in your life. So, really, what um, when I was mentioning before, what we want to come back to is how this um, this issue, for one thing, has changed in our culture. Uh, that has caused especially Portland Fellowship, along with the rest of the body of Christ, who is seeking to understand and to be a healing agent in this area, that the language has very much changed, and therefore also the approach to dealing with it within the body of Christ has changed too. We absolutely must um, educate sounds so cultural, but we really must, as a body of Christ, understand the issue if we're going to be able to apply grace to it. Um, so talk to us about how you deal now with the new language that's been taking place and how this affects our approach to the issue of sexual identity. Yeah, overall, and this is it's kind of a narrow vision of Portland Fellowship, but we do not address the world and the world's concerns or issues because it is so far lost and so far out there that if we attack every or deal with every kind of um, problem that goes off in a different direction, it's like we're going to lose kind of our mission and direction, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. to the believer, to the church. So when it comes to any other language, anything out there, it's like, I'm sure I can have a conversation about it, but... I, my hope and my our focus is to, like you're saying, share with the church body who we are in Christ and not allow any of these things, any kind of labels that direct us and lead us away from God's intended purpose for our lives, and, and recognize that culture has seeped into church. It has. Yes. Like we, don't, we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to. We want to be winsome, and in the process of trying to be winsome and have the you know, the coffee carts out front and make sure the music is fun and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then when we get to this issue, which is one of the more difficult issues of our time, it's, it's equated to, um, if you will, racism. Yes. If, if you speak, if, if you're a racist person, you, you have no place on this planet. And frankly, I, I'm totally against racism. But from the world's perspective, if you speak against anything of the LGBTQ um, community, it's equivalent to racism. And you're just evil for saying such such vile things that people can change or that it's sin or anything like that. And so we we as a church need to embody Christ's love. And I believe, as I said before, the way we do that is to know the end goal, the the desire to become more like Jesus and his intended purpose. And this starts all the way back in Genesis. 
and what the intention of man and woman and why he created us in his image. <clears throat> I bumped the phone here. I think I did. So that is that is our that is our goal is to make sure we understand what God's intention is. But one thing further beyond that, and I think this is the one that gets a little more difficult for, for believers, is stop pointing fingers at anybody who struggles with this issue or the gay community and start being honest and authentic about the log in our own eye, the sexual immor- immorality in our own hearts, yes. the behaviors that need to be surrendered to the Lord in our own hearts. And it's so easy to pick on and, and point out those that are more obvious about their sins on their you know, outwardly exposed. Meanwhile, we have our sins internally, you know, kept secret where nobody knows about. So I think we we need to start there. We need to start in our own hearts of surrender. Absolutely. Um, we, We are in so much need of returning back to a level playing field, right? I mean, we all enter life as naked little babies in need of a savior. That's our level playing field. That's right. From there, for, yeah. For those that that are struggling with this, uh, whatever issue they got going on in their life beyond homosexuality, the same principle applies. What? Who did God intend you to be, and the life that you were to live? And we press on toward that goal to win that prize that's in Christ Jesus, right? And uh, such wisdom from my dear Alvina Schmuland, who was who taught me how to walk. As a godly woman, I don't know if she's still alive, but the last time I talked to her, she was 99 years old. Uh, But she had said to me one time regarding a particular sin issue, she said, Sandy, do you believe that Jesus shed enough blood to cover that one? Mm. Which um, is so profound, has never left me. And it's a question we all need to be asking, not just in regards to the sin that we see in others, but the sin that we see in ourselves, people, let's get real about our level playing right. field. You're listening to sure. the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. I'm with my guest online today, Jason Thompson from Portland Fellowship, and we will be right back in just a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. And welcome back. Uh, we are in the deep weeds of some pretty heavy subjects, which is exactly where we need to be, my friends, because unless we take a look, a deep look into some of the very serious issues that we are facing within the body of Christ today and the world around us, um, I am afraid that the gospel will not be having much impact for the glory of Christ. And so, Jason, as we look at Portland Fellowship, what a tremendous ministry. You guys have had to purposely evolve in a variety of areas in your ministry, in how you reach out, in the language that you use. And yet, from what I see, you have not yet even gone on the defensive, Mm -hmm. but you are on the offense not that you're offensive, but you, uh, <laughs> um, with the Word of God, you're able to go on the offense and deal with this issue in a very biblical way. So could we take a look at, um, you have uh, several, four, four-pronged program that I found on your website that I love the titles of each one, Taking Background, Reach Truth, The Hope Group, and the Upper Room Program. The one that struck me first is the first one, Take Back Ground, 
Tell me what that means. I, I already think I know, but tell me what it means for the person struggling with a sexual identity issue. How do you take back ground? Absolutely. Our former director and the founder of the ministry, Phil Hobazal, put that program together. And, and, and what a wonderful title it is because the whole point is that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, to lie to us and to say, you're not a child of God, you're not this, you're not that, and you'll always be that. And the whole process here is to take back what is rightfully ours in Christ, take back the ground that he has given us and not let the enemy have that ground. And, of course, we're talking specifically in the area of sexual and relational brokenness. And so, as I said earlier about the idea of restoring our lives to God's true intent is going to be a process that's not a, that's not a, a passive process by any means where we just sit back and, you know, sleep on the Bible literally and hope it all makes things happen in our lives. But it's really an intentional process like the Israelites going into the promised land from bondage to wilderness to promised land. Even though there's this beautiful land to be had, there were still giants to face and, and land to take. And so that kind of idea, the illustration, the allegory is all about this process in our lives of what giant needs to be tackled now? What needs to be surrendered now in this process of, of God redeeming and restoring and healing our lives? And so the program, the two-year program, Taking Back Ground, walks through us through that. 42 lessons, all issues, not really about homosexuality. I mean, there's a couple of lessons that highlight it, but it's not about that. It's about who we are in Christ. Again, that's the, the whole point is not highlighting our sin nature, but highlighting the true nature of Christ in us. I see. And once that begins to happen, amazing things happen in our hearts. The oh. renewing of our minds take place. Our actual desires, and this is the con- controversial part, our actual desires change. I don't desire a man emotionally, sexually anymore. That doesn't mean some people who go through this years later won't. Everyone's journey is different, and there's no shame in that. But the reality is he does transform our hearts and desires. And so when I met my wife, it was a true desire change, a true desire for her, Hmm. for a family, and for the the life that God would have for me. It appears then that that leads us right in, and we're, we're going to be running out of time here, and it just kills me. I wish we had more time because there's so much to cover. But to reach truth, is that what you're talking about, that when we're yeah, able to take term. background? For, yep, that's for youth. The taking background is primarily for adults, but you, Reach Truth is an online program for young adults, mm. usually 17 and under. So it's shorter lessons, more simplistic, but it leads the young people into knowing who they truly are in Christ, who, that are struggling with same-sex attraction. And so we've had that up for almost 20 years now, that, that program. And then Hope Group Online is for our family and friends who uh, have loved ones, and they do not want to compromise, nor should they, compromise their, the biblical truth and their convictions. But how do we love really, really, really well our loved ones while holding to our convictions? Yeah. And so that's a but challenge Jason, like no other. Yes, because I, I, know, of, um, I know of families who have just gone ahead and compromised, not because the word doesn't remain true in their hearts and they don't love the Lord. They absolutely do. But the issue is so painful for parents and for families that they don't want to lose relationship. Yep, that's right. And that's a very difficult road to to go on because, um, yeah, who, who is your first love? Who's your mother and father? It's those who do the will of the father. And so, we, we have to find a way to still love our children and the loved ones in our lives 
and not begin to compromise. And that, again, there's some, some specific tools and conversations that can be had in the Hope Group meetings that we have now on Zoom because of COVID, but, um, but it's, it can be super helpful in staying grounded and knowing where things are just butting up against your being uncomfortable and when things are butting up your, against your convictions. And sometimes you have to sort through those two things to, to know how to navigate through loving your, your, your son, daughter. Yeah. Well. You know, I, I'm just uh, really sad that we don't have time to share stories. We learn so much by stories. Um, sure. You're a living example. Your story is about what transformation the how the power of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that power within us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So that transforming power um, in stories. But I read the stories of your team and with Patrick Silvis, who's the program director, Kathy Grace Duncan, the women's ministry leader, Amy Aldretti, the Home mm-hmm. Hope Group Coordinator, and Roy Graves, Multimedia Coordinator. You are surrounded by living stories of hope Absolutely. and transformation. Yeah, and all the leaders in our Taking Back Ground program that aren't even mentioned on our, on our uh, website and whatnot who serve because of what God has done in their lives. They want to give back even a small portion of, of what they've received to those that are coming through this process. So it's an amazing thing. You're right. It's amazing to see those stories. And especially in a generation, in a church generation that says, no, no, you can be gay and Christian, and and there's all sorts of churches that will embrace you. I'm always amazed that people walk through the doors saying, no, no, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. And and when when they could have acceptance almost anywhere they go. Yeah. That's that's the testimony of what God is doing in people's lives. It's awesome. I love your ministry because what it does for the body of Christ, if we will observe and listen and learn, is that it makes those who are dealing with um, sexual identity issues touchable. Yeah, that's right. Instead of making them a reproach, which is right. so, so wrong. But and, and to make it touch one thing that homosexuality is not a sexual issue, it's a relational issue. And for those who are seeking right relationship, what a wonderful opportunity for you as the body of Christ to come and love and relate to those who are, who are in need of a, a, the touch and the grace and the mercy of God. Yes. So that's, that was one of my healing moments when people would come alongside me who didn't struggle with this and just loved on me as I was going through this process. Mm. How, how open were you able to become with this? Did you feel well, like you were safe within your help um, circle within yeah, Portland Fellowship? Started. But how long did it take you to feel at ease within the body of Christ? It, it, uh, about a year in the Portland Fellowship, I started sharing with people at Mulnama. In my whole dorm section, I shared, shared one night. And then about a year after that, actually, I was invited to go on the Geraldo show in New York City. So at that point, wow. the whole world <laughs> gets to see it. <laughs> So, you know, it's like, well, whatever. And I started working at Portland Fellowship, so you, you kind of have to be a little more open about why and what, what your story is about. I've never experienced rejection. And frankly, if I ever did experience rejection from someone, if I said I want, I'm choosing to follow the Lord and surrender my sexuality to him, and if another believer rejected that, I don't really want them in my life. Mm, so That's like, a very right, good point. Like, you, need to, you need to encourage me and pray for me in this journey toward God, not, not discourage me. Well, and it also shows, I believe, mutual responsibility. It's the responsibility of the body of Christ to embrace 
broken people because we are broken people to embrace them with the love of Christ that we find in the gospel at the cross and in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But it's also the responsibility of the one who needs healing to also give the body a break. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Love it. Right. Yeah. And to invite and to, yeah, I know there's lots of walls that get put up when someone's broken, but it's yeah. invite the Holy Spirit to help tear down those walls and connect with people that are trustworthy. Yeah. Yep. What do you see coming ahead for Portland Fellowship? Well, if it's the doomsday or stuff, you know, I don't want to go there because <laughs> I've seen some really weird stuff going on out there and who knows. All I do know is that since I've been here, God has protected this ministry, the facility, the people involved here. Uh, the, the people who are surrendered and walking through this process, our financial supporters, which is, are small but faithful. I mean, these, this, this is an amazing thing to watch God bless this ministry. And so as the world goes more and more crazy, I don't know if you notice, Sandy, but that's kind of nice. <laughs> wow, go I've just been living in this wonderful little marshmallow fairyland. Thank <laughs> you for opening the doors. <laughs> I want to come hang out in that bubble. But yeah, but the point, I suppose, is no matter what happens, I really, truly, this isn't just lip service. I, I truly trust that God's going to do whatever he wants. And if something has to happen to this ministry on a social level or whatnot, political level, um, I, you know, we know through the New Testament that he only expands his work under persecution. Yes. So whether it's persecution or just enjoying the blessings, either which way, I'm good. Okay, <laughs> that is such a good word. That's such a good word. We all we all need to um, agree with that for all that we're going through in our lives. But right. people, as you have been enjoying, and uh, really I hope your hearts have been tugged by the this ministry and my guest today, Jason, um, that you would go to the website portlandfellowship.com. There's opportunities there to, um, if you want to go and visit and see what they're doing and even volunteer, if you have issues that are driving you, to go and investigate and see if this is something that God is leading you to for personal healing or to donate to help keep this group going. Please do that. Jason, I so appreciate you being with us today. Andy, it's been a pleasure. It truly has. Thank you so much. Oh, I just thank God for you and for Amy and for your family and for the work that God is doing in and through you. Thank you for surrendering to the power of God and his word to do this work that is so, so important. Thank you so much. And thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you all. God bless. God bless you too. Thank you all for being with us today. You've been listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Sandy Snavely. What a pleasure it's been to be able to um, run this program for her. And also great thanks to James Blind over there who has kept this program running so well. And Chris yesterday, who I forgot to thank on air, but Chris... Williams, thank you. Also, the shows can't run without the producers. We would just be a bunch of words going nowhere. So thank you for being with us today. I'm Sandy Snavely. Have a great day. The sun is shining and go do something valuable for the kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. 
And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.